in the trials more than anything. That's where you see God the clearest. And you're called to then do the work, to get yourself better, and then do God's work as He wants you to. Follow the calls. And so no matter how, how hard it is, just do the work. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. On the first Thursday of every month in 2024, we are sharing a special episode of our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church YSM. Now check out these stories. You are listening to the Your Story Matters podcast, a podcast where people from Collective share their stories. And um, this is exciting because we're in season two, um, sitting down with our second guest of the season, um, who has made the decision, I want to sit down and share my story. I want to be vulnerable. I want to be real. And I want to talk about the highs and lows of life and how God has been with them through it. And they've seen God move and um, God has been with them in the valleys and been with them on the peaks as well. And so we're excited that you guys are listening to this. I do want to encourage you. Um, we put out these episodes monthly right now, but we have a whole year's worth of weekly episodes. So if this is your first one, um, you know, if you're new to Collective, just checking this stuff out and Olivia's story speaks to you, I would just encourage you to go back and start at season one uh, and just give it some time and hear these stories um, because there's going to be a lot in Olivia's story that kind of hits you and pulls on you, um, hopefully helps you with your own story, helps you with your own faith. But the beauty of this podcast are the 60 people who have sat down at this table to share their stories and how all these people are part of this church called Collective and trying their best to create space for other people to experience Jesus. And they know that their stories are a part of that. And so uh, we're thankful that you're listening today. Olivia, I'm excited for you to share your story. Known you for a long time. I know bits and pieces of your story. And I know there are people at Collective who've honestly like been kind of around. Um, but also I know there are people at Collective that as you share your story today, um, it's going to speak to him in a really big way. And so I'm thankful that you're here, that you're doing this today. And so um, we're going to start with the question to start all questions, which is tell us about your childhood. Where did you grow up? What was family life like? And, you know, what was faith like specifically in the early years? Yeah, so born and raised right here in Frederick. I love it here. I am the youngest of three girls. It was good. We grew up really healthy and safe. Yeah. Um, we have parents who are still married to this day, show us an exemplary vision of Great. what love is. Yep. We just had a really good example. We always got good grades. You know, we were just good kids. Didn't get in trouble aside from the normal, like, yep. oh, you came home too late past curfew, or you didn't answer my text message. <laughs> anyway, otherwise, you know, we had just a really good childhood. We were raised in the church. We got dedicated as babies, all three of us, yep. in the Brethren Church. Um, and my mom had us involved all the way through, yeah. um, birth through high school, end of high school. My dad was not involved okay. with that, though, but that was normal for us. We never asked any questions. Yeah. 
my mom just took the lead. We went to church every Sunday, got involved in all the youth group activities. Like even in elementary school, they had this like pre-youth group. It was called Pioneer Club. Yeah. And yeah. so we did that. We did summer church camp every summer. Um, we were involved in all the ways. Um, I was in the children's choir and then the choirs up wow. until end of high school. We did musicals. And so like anytime there was something that was special, like our musical performance or a Christmas Eve or something like that, my dad would come yeah. with camcorder in hand, right? He was really proud of us, but he was not part of church with us. Okay. For him, was that like, um, like when it comes to belief, was there belief in God? It just was like church wasn't kind of his thing or what, what do you think that was? I don't know. Yeah. And I have yet to ask. Yeah. Um, it's just not something that I've asked him. And sure. I don't know if that's, I, I don't really know why. Um, I do know that he was raised Catholic. And okay. when he was in elementary school at some point, he got kicked out for some okay. reason or the other. <laughs> and I don't know yeah, yeah. what. All yeah. I know is that he was hanging out with a group of boys. They all got kicked out. Yeah. And I guess he wasn't too strictly in it because sure. he just never went back and his sure. parents never made him go back. I'm pretty sure my grandparents didn't go after that either. Yeah. They just all stopped. Yeah. So I think that less of no belief and more of didn't know what to do sure. with it Sure. and just left it at that yeah. is my guess. Yeah. And I would say too, for people who don't know much about like the Brethren Church, um, you know, if you grew up Catholic, Brethren is not similar by any means. Not even close. Um, the Brethren Church... Uh, different than collective, you know, we always do the scale of like Catholic to collective. Brethren's like a little bit maybe like more collective than center. But when it comes to like a lot of the things that they practice, it's similar, right? Yeah. Baptism is important. Yes. You know, communion is, is something that they do partake in. Maybe not every week, depending on kind of which church you go to. But it has to be weird to grow up Catholic and then all of a sudden end up like, you know, have be married to somebody who goes to a different version of church and you're like, these two things are very, very, very strange. Um, so for you, you know, you're super, super involved. Um, one question I would love to know is, because uh, when people share on the podcast that they've had a good church experience, right, which there's, you know, plenty of people at Collective that have, have had good church experience, specifically growing up as kids, where they knew this was a safe experience. And I learned about Jesus here, like actually learned about Jesus here. For you, do you have like an age in, when you were younger where you felt like it started to click, where it wasn't just doing church? Because for you, it very clearly wasn't just we do church. It was like, oh, no, no, we have a personal faith with Jesus. Do you feel like you had that in elementary school? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I can't really figure out a good pinpoint time, but I knew I felt it very early yeah. on that it was community. It was Jesus. It was accepting Jesus as the one who saved us yep. and it was relational the whole way through yep. and i have a lot of that to be grateful for to like my youth leaders the pastors at the time too but i wasn't going to big church sure. in class sure. you know yep. we, i was going to sunday school yep. and youth group and so they just knew exactly how to make us feel yeah, jesus good. and so yes that was something that was clear to me very early on um and just continued and then i got baptized in high school yeah um I don't know that I had the full grasp on sure. all of it, though, yep. at the time. I knew that I accepted Jesus, and I knew that this was the path I wanted to take for the rest of my life. Yep. But 
I didn't know exactly what giving my life to Jesus sure. meant. And so I learned that after the fact. Yeah. So it was all a very healthy progress yeah. in that I'm, way. Which is like the dream, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have a daughter now and... Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things we try to do at Collective with Collective Kids is make sure it's not, we always tell people when they're like, oh, do you have childcare? It's like, this isn't childcare. Like, this is an environment designed just for them. So even at the youngest age, they're learning what it means to believe in Jesus or have faith in Jesus or learn about Jesus, but also doing it with a group of people who love them and care for them. You know, that is... I would say, like, for us, like, it's the dream. That's what we want our kids to grow up that way. Not everybody gets that opportunity. Um, We're trying to do that here, right? And a lot of people, you know, who are adults at Collective are like, oh, I wish I had that, right? But you kind of had that. Yeah. Um, So as you kind of get older, and you mentioned getting baptized Mm -hmm. and knowing, I want Jesus to be my Savior, but not understanding what does it mean to be, like, committed to that. Um, What was that like in high school? Like, Tension, no tension, all that stuff. I think there might have been a little bit of tension kind of wrestling for myself. But at the same time, I was so involved. Um, I was still doing, you know, the choir, the youth group, the Sunday school class, any volunteer things that we were doing. You know, we did like bake sales and car washes and all those types of things. So I felt so involved that in my mind, I wasn't quite sure exactly what it was I needed to do, but I felt like I was doing enough. Sure. I guess if that makes sense. Like I was so involved and I knew I was doing things for the right reasons that it felt right enough that I wasn't fighting with myself too, too much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is the tricky part. Like you weren't checking boxes, right? You weren't trying to earn grace. Mm -mm. This is just what you do. Exactly. You know, and that's, you know, for a lot of people who grew up in the church, they're like, this is just what we did. But at some point, and this is true in almost everybody's story, whether they grew up in church or didn't grow up in church, there is some moment, high school, post-high school, where there's like a little bit of like a reckoning Mm -hmm. where they have to like really start to figure out like what does this mean to me? Right. And where do I kind of fit in with that? Um, For you, do you feel like you had that moment? Like was the rest of high school good? And then all of a sudden it was like post-high school. Kind of take us through that. The rest of high school was pretty good. I had my best friends at church, except for one who was at school. And like, I didn't have a whole whole lot of friends, but my closest friends were at church. So we did high school together. And then we all went to different colleges. I wasn't quite ready to go off to college, but in my family, that's just what you did. So I graduated high school and I went to Towson, which was not that far away, but I was not allowed to not go to school. It was highly encouraged to go try and be on my own. And I had a hard time there. I always had faith. You know, I always believed in God. I always knew Jesus was there, but I stopped going to church Mm -hmm. um, just because I was encouraged to immerse myself in school, have the school experience in college. And I think that's when things sort of started falling apart a little bit for me. I always struggled with anxiety from a very, very small age. One example I can think, like my very first memory of having anxiety was I think I was four or five years old and is where it started. And every time my mom was like late coming home from the grocery store or PTA meeting or something like that, I thought she died. I immediately went to worst case scenario. And I did that quite often. And God bless my parents, but I don't think they knew enough about anxiety in kids (laughs) back in the early mid nineties. So I don't think they saw it as 
an issue. Mm-hmm. It was just me, Olivia being a mama's girl and yeah. wanting her home. Being the youngest. Yeah. Yes, all the being things, the yeah. youngest, the sensitive one, you know, um, it was just chalked up to that and yeah. they didn't know any different. So, you know, no harm, no yeah. foul really for them. But I, and then I struggled and that continued through um, middle school. It became like, you know, self-worth issues yeah. and low self-esteem and just really low confidence all around, but not when I was at church. So it was sort of like at school, I was sure, having a rough sure. time. I was really quiet. I tried to stay in the background, but also do the things that made sure I fit in. Um, but at church, I didn't feel any of that. Yeah. So when high school then ended, I wasn't going to church anymore. My friends at church were all off at their colleges. And it did sort of just fall apart. But I didn't see it like that at sure. the time because I was so just trying to figure out what I was doing in that moment. I think I was distracted but I never lost faith it's just I lost the community Mm -hmm. part and so I spent two years at Towson I tried it I really tried really hard um but I couldn't do it anymore Towson's (laughs) just so different you know Towson being a suburb of Baltimore has Baltimore vibes definitely does not have Frederick vibes especially for someone who grew up in Frederick exactly and and you know you mentioned you didn't really kind of explore the church portion of that Towson has a really tricky church culture. I'll just kind of share the story. Like when we were looking at Towson, one of the things that we had to do is reach out to churches in the area and just say, Hey, would you grab coffee with us? We're thinking about planning a church here. And we got, I got multiple emails back that were just nasty. And it was like, no, I won't do that. We don't, we've got this covered. We don't need another church, like that kind of stuff. And so what I found was that in Towson, um, and, th- and this was 10 years ago, so hopefully yeah. things are, are better now. But about 10 years ago, there were churches, but there was just a lot of, like, bad church culture and church splits. And um, while there's an area where a ton of people are there, it's not one that has, like, a strong church community culture where you can be like, oh, let me try a few. I found one. It's not great. And so, you know, just to kind of give you a little bit of grace and a pass on that, even if you looked, I don't think you would have found what you were looking for because it was a rough place. Now, again, I I think it's gotten better and there's like new things going on there. But when you're there in college, it probably uh, wouldn't have worked out anyways, which probably would have been more devastating in the end where you try something and it's not what you grew up in. Exactly. So two years at Towson, Mm -hmm. you come back home. Mm -hmm. I come back home. I did transfer though to Shepherd, So I commuted. I lived at home, but I was able to commute. So I did want to finish school. I didn't want to quit. That's one thing I pride myself on is that I don't give up yeah. very easily when it comes to things that make me feel prideful, which maybe is good, but maybe it's not. Whatever. Yeah, but. I mean, it's hard. College <laughs> yeah. is, we, we were all told to go to college, and then we went, and we're like, this is really freaking hard, yeah. you know? And so yeah. don't want to underestimate how difficult it is to leave home, yeah. especially when you're the youngest, especially when you've grown up in a place your whole entire life, when you have good community, good mm-hmm. friends, like mm-hmm. really all the things that you want to have in your future life. And then people are like, hey, you should get up and go somewhere else. And exactly. like that's kind of yeah. what it is. Yeah, and it happens so fast. I mean, at age 18, I wish I had like at least two or three years to figure out yeah. what I wanted to do because I changed my major, I think, six times. Wow. You know, I was so confused during that period of time. Yeah. It was something brand new to me. I was also a very homesick person, also from a very small age when I would do the summer camp yeah. thing for church. I just wanted to go home okay. yeah. and for the beginning. And then the second half, I was good. Yeah. The first <laughs> half of the week, I was like, get me home. I know something terrible is going to happen. Sure. Again, it was anxiety. It was anxiety. I was, If I wasn't there, something terrible would happen. Sure. So I had to be there to make sure it didn't. I was like seven, eight years old. What could I have done? But that was my mindset. And so it was always just this terrible anxiety. And so I had that my whole life. Um, So, but when you're older and then early adolescence, you know, 
mental health issues come out to the extent most of the time. And so I was 18 to 23 in college and anxious. The depression started kicking in at that point. I don't want to blame it all being situational, but I was in a very toxic relationship at the time too, where um, I was abused in many ways, um, blaming myself. It was always my fault and I believed it. So that took a huge, huge toll on my mental health and I just spiraled from there. And so that was my sophomore and my second sophomore and junior year at Shepherd. So I just moved to this new college. I think my saving grace was that I was living with my parents, but I was trying to navigate school. I didn't want to go to college. I think I determined while I was almost done, I was like, I really wish I never did this. (laughs) I wish I would have done like a trade school or something where I would learn a skill and get right into working. I loved to work. I worked three jobs through college because I loved spending my time doing a job. And so I struggled with the fact I wasn't fantastic at school. I wasn't bad, but I wasn't getting the best grades. It was pretty average, especially because I didn't really want to apply myself because I didn't really want to be there. But finally, in my last year and a half of school, I finally landed on a major that I liked. um, And I just decided finally, I'm just going to study something that I enjoy. I don't care if this gets me a job or not. I'm just going to do it. And that helped. But I was still in this horrible relationship, um, being treated just terribly. And I was still spiraling, even though I was trying to find little bits to better what my situation was. But I didn't know really what depression was either. So I was looking from the outside in and thinking, my life is really good. Why do I feel so terrible? You know, in hindsight, my life is good. This guy isn't abusing me as bad as he could. You know, I have a really wonderful family. I have really wonderful friends. I have the blessing to be able to go to college. You know, I had all these wonderful things. Why did I feel so bad? Why did I feel like my life should be ending? Why do I feel like I have no purpose? Why do I feel like I'm not worth anything? And then there was guilt that I was feeling so badly that I hated my life so much when I had everything good, really, except for the one part, two parts, including college, I guess. I didn't know what was going on with me, so I just spiraled out of control, really. And finally, it all came to a head when I had made the decision to end my life, and I was committed to doing it. I was in the bathroom at my parents' house, but I was home alone. I had planned that. I made sure I knew they were going out somewhere. And I was in the bathroom, and something made me look in the mirror, and I saw what I was looking at, and it was just terrifying. I just could not believe it, and I could not believe that somehow I could be in this terribly dark place. Somehow my mind was capable of this, Mm -hmm. and that was so scary. But there was no sense of relief that I changed my mind. You know, it was almost like, oh, well, you're not even brave enough to carry this out. So there was guilt along with the fact that I changed my mind not to commit suicide. But I didn't, so I should be grateful. And then it was just this whole cycle again. It was this cycle of why am I not grateful? Why am I not? And I wasn't seeing God in that. I look back now, and I'm like, God made me look up in the mirror. Sure, That was, you know, I, I can see it all clearly now. But then it was just me beating myself up over and over and over just because of what my brain chemistry was doing, really, um, is what it came down to. And so I sat on that for probably a week or two, reflecting, but also hating myself all the while. But finally, um, I decided to go to the doctor 
And I said, I need to figure out what this is. And I just decided. I wasn't telling anybody. I was going to say, so Um, did anybody? No. Nobody knew. Do you feel like anybody like suspected it at that point? I do know that there were suspicions that I was sick because Mm -hmm. I was not eating and I was down to 89 pounds. Now I know I'm a tiny person, but that's even way too underweight for someone who's as short as I am. Um, So I was severely underweight and I wasn't eating. Um, And so a couple of my friends had been like, are you okay? Like, what's going on with you? And there were people who were asking my friends, hey, is she okay? Because of just the way that I looked. I think people thought I had an eating disorder, which was not it. Um, I never cared much about my physical appearance, weight-wise, nothing like that, but it looked that way. So I think that's what people thought, but nobody actually did anything about it. I think the way I behaved, everybody thought I was okay enough. So nobody really did anything. So I don't, I mean, I don't have anybody to blame for that. Yeah. I do want to step in really quickly though, and just like kind of, kind of bring a pastoral moment into this where you know, when, when you were going through that about 10 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Where right now in 2024, we have a pretty good grasp of mental illness and we feel comfortable talking about mental illness. But I think people forget that five years ago, we did not. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time we ever talked about mental health at Collective, it was in um, 2019. Um, I, I like touched on it a little bit. We, you know, actually were like, let's go all in on this conversation. And it was right before COVID hit, which was just ironic. And people really struggled with that inside the church and outside the church. The irony is I've got emails from both sides, Christian people saying, you don't need to talk about mental health in church and non-Christian people saying, um, mental health, you know, doesn't have anything to do with faith. And you're like, man, you both suck. Okay. (laughs) Like you're both wrong. These things, these things do matter. But now we're comfortable with it, right? Ten years ago, we wouldn't have been. And like you said, you don't blame anybody for not asking harder questions because we wouldn't have. It was such a private thing. Exactly. But today, you know, just to try to encourage everybody listening to this episode, like it is so good to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Part part of the reason why we talk about like having a crew of people in your life is so that you can ask these invasive questions and not feel guilty about asking them. But just to like challenge and encourage the listeners of like, hey, you might be in that place. Um, where you're the person going, I want someone, I want someone to ask me this question, so I have to answer this question. Um, and like finding community that will do that is really important. But if you are somebody's somebody, it is okay to ask those questions. Now the answer could be a lie. Mm-hmm. Could be I work three jobs. I'm traveling. You know, very, you know, pretty far to go to to school. There's a lot of reasons that we can say like this is why it is this way. Um, but man, it never hurts to ask people the question saying, Hey, something seems off. Really the patterns have changed. Is everything okay? And so this is just me giving you listeners permission to ask your closest friends. If something feels off, ask those questions, um, because something probably is off and it's okay. And they might not answer it well the first time they might get defensive about it. Um, but if you love enough enough, you'll keep asking them, Mm -hmm. you know, we are kind of in this new phase of mental health. Um, which is an exciting phase where we don't hide it as much. Right. Um, we're just not comfortable yet still. So that's an aside. Mm-hmm. Ask your friends how they're doing and actually ask hard questions about it. Uh, make them answer you. I'm thankful that you're sharing this part of the story so we can talk about that now. You know, 10 yeah. years ago, it would have been a whole different conversation. Right, exactly. So it's pretty clear something isn't right. Mm-hmm. But you decide on your own, like, hey, I'm going to go to a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like? I want to say that I was proud of myself in that moment, but it was honestly 
my last hope. It was, I need to try this because nothing else is going to help. And maybe something else would have, maybe if I would have talked to my parents, you know, I was living there with them or my siblings, maybe if I would have said something, but my fear was that they thought I was being sensitive and dramatic because that's sort of the name I got growing up was, oh, she's just sensitive. She takes things personal. And so I was too afraid really to say anything to them because I thought it would just be brushed off. So my last hope was talking to a professional. I don't know if they're going to be able to help me or not, but at least they might know something about what's going on with me and why my head is in such a dark place when situationally life is pretty okay. Sure. It's not terrible. It's not great, but it's okay. Yeah. And so it was weird. That's the best way I can describe it. It just felt weird. They put me on medication. That helped a little bit, but they highly encouraged a therapist. And so I did. I found I found a therapist and I think I saw her every month for like six years. Yeah. And through that, I am eternally indebted to her because she is who started my path to here, yeah. where I am now. She was so helpful. And so a big part of my processing with her was A, determining, you know, why I was feeling what I was feeling. What can I do to cope? And one of the biggest things she found about me was how involved I was in church before I went to college. And she was the one who actually encouraged me to get back into it. And not that I wasn't going. I was still going on Sundays after I moved home um, from Towson. I went back to going just to church every Sunday. But I wasn't really volunteering. Um, I wasn't doing too much of anything other than going every Sunday morning, as many Sunday mornings as I could. So she was the one who then said, well, in high school, when things, you know, before things got to this scary point, look at all that you were doing. Try that again. And so I did. I jumped back in, joined the young adult leadership team. So I was on like the planning committee for the young adults. Um, I started teaching a young adult Sunday school class, which then led to teaching or um, leading a high school youth group girls um, group and ultimately then helping out with the audiovisual team and then joining the praise team. Yeah. And I was doing all of those things yeah. at once and little by little that just brought so much more joy back into my life. So again, looking back, yeah. I can see that if I would have just let God in, you know, sure. that's what that's what I needed all the while. I still believed in God. I still had faith, but I was just so confused and yeah. distracted. But I was able to get that back. And that was really the crux of my healing, um, was getting back involved with the church that I had been involved with my whole entire life before that. So yeah, it was a huge, huge turning point for me. And and that's, you know, one of the things that, you know, we try to talk about here at Collective where what you're experiencing in those groups and those communities you're a part of is like, what God intended us to have in our lives, right? People and community and serving Mm -hmm. others and allowing other people to pour into us. And it's like when God designed everything the way he designed it, there's parts of it where it's like, you don't know how much you need these people, you know, or just people, you Mm -hmm. know, and you don't know how much we as people need community and purpose, right? Purpose beyond, especially when you're going to school and you're going, 
I don't really like anything that I'm doing. What's my purpose? And it's like, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like churches, the church exists, you know, and the way God built us, it's like, oh, this thing snap into place. And so, you know, I don't, I don't want people to hear like, oh, you just got busy and started doing things and therefore you felt better. It's like, no, you were feeling the benefit of all these wonderful things that God wants for our souls mm-hmm. and that he designed us to have. Exactly. You know, community, yeah. worship, people, mm-hmm. serving others, you know, purpose beyond just, you know, the three jobs and, you know, the, the yeah. major that you're not sure you're going to enjoy. <laughs> yeah. And so it's cool that you kind of felt that juxtapose that to high school where you were doing all the things and, and feeling like I'm doing all these things and I enjoy all these things. Yeah. When you kind of went back to it, did it start to feel different? Did you start to recognize, oh, this is why I need to have these things in my life, like seeing kind of the fullness of, of all of it. Yeah, it absolutely started falling into place, specifically when I started leading the youth group. Um, oh, yeah. Because I was able to see faith in kids' hearts where mine really started blooming, too. So I was able to compare myself to them when I was that age yeah. and see, okay, so that's sort of where I was, and here I am now, and I'm watching them bloom in their faith and I get to keep going forward sure, in yeah. that way too. And this is the purpose. You know, that's yep. look at the growth between their ages and my age now. And it just that's when it sort of became full picture that's to awesome. me is that I yeah. could see the progress. Yep. And right there was enough to say, I'm doing what God wants me to do. Yep. And I'm following what God has asked me to do. And it just felt really good. It was, it felt full. And then I, on the praise team too, I realized that, you know, I had this gift, I guess, that God wanted me to use. And I just knew I was singing for God when I was there. It wasn't about, do I sound good? Or it wasn't about, what are people thinking about me? You know, of course I was nervous. I wanted to make a good impression, right? Because it it matters. It matters because people need that experience. And that's your job is being on stage is giving people the experience mm-hmm. of worship too. And, and leading them. And leading them. You know, like you are, you're trying to show them what, how do I worship? Exactly. Like through music. And like, it's, I wish there wasn't pressure in those things. Yeah. But the other side of it too, and you know, you having the experience, you also see things differently, right? You know, there's very few people who understand what it's like to worship, but from the perspective of I'm watching you worship, you know, and it's not like we're watching you, but like you are seeing people who come every single week who have never moved their mouth mm-hmm. all of a sudden start singing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like we, we talk about this at collective all the time where like one of the great things that we celebrate on a weekly basis is when, you know, the band will send me notes of like, Hey, here's this husband that's been coming for six months and they just kind of stand with their arms folded. But today, they started singing this song and we we take that and we're like heck yes yeah right and so it is huge that way you're, you're just seeing it from a different perspective and you're trying to show people you know through music how do i worship god right. how do i praise god how do i honor god how do i you know all those things yeah. which is you know pressure filled right. but also fun at the same time yeah did you feel i mean you felt the pressure what did oh, the pressure for sure. do for you mentally and emotionally though like was it okay pressure or was it pressure where you're like, holy crap? At first it was a little too much. Yeah. I was used to being on stage with groups. You know, in high school I was in the choir. I had had my like little solos and mm-hmm. stuff early yep. on, but it was nothing yeah. like this. You know, leading worship is so different. 
And so, yeah, at first it was a little too much. But Especially if you struggle with anxiety. Exactly. Right? Exactly right, which I was doing better at the yeah. time. You know, my medication was helping. Therapy yeah. was helping. So I was able to ma- handle it yeah. much better than I once did. But it's still there. You know, it doesn't, yep. for most people, it doesn't ever just go away yep. if it's something that is just innate within yep. you, which I learned that it was for me, especially going back into my childhood, like we talked about earlier, like knowing that was something yep. from the very start. Yep. So, yes, it was hard and I messed up and I would kick myself for that and you know there was a lot that was filled with pressure but at the same time I knew that what I was singing and why I was there was more important I still had that in my mind and that helped and I worship the best way through music and worshiping with others too I always have so I knew that I was giving that to somebody out there, it could one person that yeah. said, I knew that I was helping them yeah. worship. And I, if I was just worshiping the way I knew how to, it would present that way That's awesome. to somebody else. So I still had that in my mind and I knew. And I was in that time in my life where I knew I was doing things that God wanted me to. I wasn't doing them really for myself, um, partially because I wanted to enjoy it too, right? Sure. But the confidence that I never had was there. And it was just all of this coming into the full picture. I made new really close friends. It's where I met my now husband. He was on the praise team too, so that's how we met. And so I had all these exciting, beautiful friendships and relationships growing that was just helping me, that were just helping me grow too. And I was just in a really good place. I'm still grateful looking back on it. It was just a huge growing experience for me. You know, a big part of your story is kind of the Growing up in the church and the church being a really big place for healing for you. And I do think it's important just to kind of reiterate, you know, you, you said like, yeah, I was taking medicine. I was going to therapy and I was involved in something really good. And oftentimes people try to pick like one or the other. And, um, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of sometimes you have to take medicine in order to be able to read your Bible or to be able to sit and pray or to be able to have the nerve you know, to, to get up on stage and sing or to lead people or, you know, the, the vulnerability that comes with all that stuff. This church is like a really big part of your life, but it's also a really big part of your story kind of in the opposite way as well, mm-hmm. which came pretty quickly after this part, right? Yeah. You know, there's timelines of collective and like Ray and I being here and starting this church that I didn't know the timelines of, but they kind of collide with some of your timelines. Yeah. Um, just based on like what I knowledge and meeting people and all that stuff. But you kind of get to this place where you're like, oh yeah, like this is healthy. And then it kind of all falls apart. 2018, my again, now husband, Carrie, he and I really started getting serious and he was working at the church at the time. He was, he was basically in charge of the band and then all the tech stuff. Um, So he was working there. And of course I was volunteering and all of the things that I just described. To some, our relationship was progressing too quickly. We had been discussing moving in together. No, we were not engaged or married yet, so I don't condone that necessarily. I would not say, yes, everybody move in with your significant other before you get married. I know it's not healthy for all. We made that decision to do that, and we were talking about it, and somehow it got to the lead pastor at the time. He had approached Carrie one day, it was during the week, and asked him, if that was true, if the rumors he heard were true, I think was the exact verbiage that he used. And Carrie, being an honest person, said, yes, 
that is true. And the pastor asked him, well, does that mean you're sexually active? And Carrie said yes. And if I'm remembering the rendition of it correctly, the response was, well, that's sinful. So Olivia is going to have to step down from all her roles and you're going to have to tell her that. So the responsibility was on my then boyfriend at the time to tell me I was no longer welcome in all of the areas that I was serving. He had shared with the pastor that no, he would not do that, that that it was not his responsibility. He would have to go direct with me. So I sat on it for a couple weeks. Of course, he was going to, Carrie was going to tell me. He wasn't going to keep that from me, but he said, I'm not doing that. I'm not telling you what to do. Um, I'm just telling you that this is a conversation that we had. You, it's coming. I hope that they talk to you, but that's where my involvement ends is what Carrie told me. And so I said, okay. And so I sat on it for a couple weeks. I had not heard anything, not heard anything. Of course, I skipped that Sunday because I was too terrified to even walk into the building knowing what I knew. But a couple weeks went by and I heard nothing. So I took it upon myself to write a letter to the pastor and explain my history, my 26 years of history with the church and explain exactly why I felt I was doing God's work, why I felt that I was following Jesus in most aspects of my life. And I said, I understand that this one part is not biblical. Please sit down with me. And in the end, I said, please sit and talk to me. I want to have a conversation with you about this. And I heard nothing. I got zero response. And I wish that I had the guts to just keep walking in that building as if I didn't know anything. But at the time, that broke me because I was in this beautiful place of healing from going from wanting to kill myself and almost doing it to having a full life because of everybody I'd interacted with at that church. I was just broken and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to behave. I didn't, I wanted to disappear. So that's what I did. I just never stepped foot back in that building. I stopped Uh talking to everybody, cut people out. People had asked me where I was. I ignored them. Um, until finally I got some nerve to say, well, here's what happened, but I wasn't proud of it because I feel like I could have handled it better too. Um, and then Carrie was still working there for several months after that until finally they let him go for budget cuts and that's air quotes. So we just got exiled in a situation where we should have been shepherded to make good decisions, Mm -hmm. ended up moving in with him and I wasn't going to church. I just didn't feel like I had much to hold on to. For a few months, like Carrie would wake up and go work at the place. Mm -hmm. And you were then going, I'm not doing that. And you would just sit at home and wait for him to come home. Um, which I can't imagine how hard it is was for him, you know. And there's there's all these other things to it, right? Like there's a job and there's money involved, and so it's mm-hmm, like right. you know what a terrible position to put him in um, as he tries to figure out like as you guys move toward marriage and like all the things that are that are happening. So just to be clear, never had the conversation. Never. I, I knew I know your story. That's the part that I didn't know, and that's the part where I think when it comes to pastors and leading churches, right? And, and I say this to people all the time, like what we say from stage has to be the same thing that I say in the lobby to people or that we say on a podcast or that we say, you know, at coffee. And part of that is sometimes we have to have hard conversations, but it's respecting people enough to have hard conversations. 
and the fact that like you the conversation never happened it's like to this day it's it was all essentially rumors I mean, not rumors, because you knew, because like they had had the conversation with Carrie. But right. like another thing is, if somebody has a qualm with us, right? It's I forget exactly what chapter in Matthew, but it, Matthew you, eighteen. Eighteen. That's yep. what I thought. Yep. You take it to the person directly, yep. and if it doesn't work that way, then in, involve yep. someone above you. Yep. And that process just was not fulfilled. Yep. And we, re- I, I think actually Carrie was the one who referenced that to him. He said, "Well, I would like to know." who it was that shared this information with you because what if it's not what if it wasn't true you know what if what sure. if what is their perspective sure. you know i think that we deserve a conversation with that person with you all of us sitting down in right. one space and he, the pastor protected this person's sure. identity sure um and never shared any little bit of who that might have been that told what was going on we hadn't even moved in yet it was a it was conversation and yes, we were planning on it because we were talking about getting married. Yeah. We were, we had the plan. We knew we were going to get married. Yeah. You know, when Carrie and I first started dating, it was business, really. Like, we're doing this because we've wasted so much time with other people. Sure. We do not want to waste anymore. Sure. So we both knew very clearly we were dating to get married. Yep. And we wanted to make sure it was going to work because we were wasting no time. Yeah. And Carrie's the opposite of a toxic, abusive, yes. like yeah. he's if you could have found someone just completely loving and caring and kind and all that, like that's who he is. Exactly, right. So, right. and again, like we've talked about this on previous episodes where people meet somebody and they're like pretty quickly, like we're going to get married because they've had such a bad past experience. They're like, yeah, this is everything I've ever wanted. And I know that because that last one was just garbage. Exactly. Right. right? Yep. So, but I think it's important that, you know, what, what you're saying is simply, Hey, if you feel like we're doing something, because like we, I would have the same conversation at, I would have the conversation at Collective, right? In fact, like you know, I, I think I've shared this on other episodes where, you know, people ask me, "Hey, will you do my wedding?" I always ask, like, "Are you living together? Are you sleeping together?" And if the answer is yes, my default is I'm not doing your wedding. Right. But that's not actually the default, right? <laughs> the secret behind that is I will say like the answer is no, but the never the answer is never actually no because my number one goal is healthy marriages. And so if there's a couple that's living together or sleeping together ahead of time, then it's like, how do we get this to being healthy? We still do premarital mm-hmm. for those people. Mark and Pamela do that for us. Um, because again, if they're going to get married, we're going to do everything we can to make it right. But then one of the tricks that I do have up my sleeve that people argue with me about all the time, and I'm not going to field any questions about this, I don't really care, is what I'll do is I'll say, just elope. And then let's do the ceremony later. But that way at the ceremony, there's no secret. There's no hidden thing. It's not the beginning of, you know, I'm stepping out of what we were doing. It's saying, no, no, you made that decision six months ago, but just make the decision, right? And that's how I do it as a pastor. And I get it. People are like, what do you mean you tell them to elope? And it's like, well, <laughs> biblically, the way that I see it, Paul says, if you're burning with desire and you can't help yourself, you should get married. So churches whose response is no break apart, do all those things. Like I get the whole, like, don't live together. Don't sleep together. Don't do those things. But I also think biblically there's a precedent for saying, Hey, if you're going to do those things, then you should just get married. Right. No. So, you know, I think that's, what's tricky about it is, you know, never having the opportunity to be held accountable, Mm -hmm. um, to experience grace Mm -hmm. and truth. There wasn't either. There definitely wasn't grace, but there also really wasn't truth. No. You know, you mentioned Matthew 18. I taught on that uh, during our Christmas series and talked about it family-wise, but talked about, like, biblically, 
that's how you handle confrontation with Christians is it's one-on-one. If they refuse to acknowledge, then it's two. Mm-hmm. And then if they refuse, then it's leadership at the church. And my guess is at a Brethren Church, there's probably, uh, we would do it a little bit differently at Collective, but there's probably a bigger board, you mm-hmm. know, leadership thing that you would go before them and have the conversation. And then we talked about it. Then the response is if they still like go, no, I'm living this life. It's you treat them the way you do pagans and tax collectors, which I would argue to the death, which is grace. Yeah. Like people yeah. who don't know Jesus. And there's a whole different way to approach people who don't know Jesus when they're serving and, and all, all of those types of things. And again, mm-hmm. every church is going to be different on like who they have serving and what roles are in and, and all that stuff. Sure. So for you guys... I don't think anybody on the podcast has shared a story where it's like, yeah, I grew up in the church and I loved it. The church saved my life and then had it like pulled out from under them. Obviously, that was hard. Carrie worked there for a few more months Mm -hmm. during kind of that season. What was it like for you with your mental health? The spiraling just started over again. I didn't trust people at church at a place where I felt like the people were the most good people I knew. I didn't think any other place could be that good. And they weren't good. They proved to me that they were not good. Not all of them. There are very wonderful people who still attend mm-hmm. there, I'm sure. And I have only good memories of a lot of those people. Yeah. But this situation showed me that who was in charge, whoever that may be, I don't know who everybody yeah. was, right? Yeah. But whoever was in charge did not do what they should have done in a situation like ours and it just created pain. I couldn't force myself to go church shopping right away. There was no way I could do that. I was just so mad. I was hurt, obviously, confused. So I just started spiraling. I started having really bad anxiety again. The self-worth issues started rearing their ugly head. I was nothing, I wasn't good enough. And of course, who's there to put that on but Carrie? Um, So it put a lot of strain on our relationship because he was the only one around when I was having those problems. And I just, it caused fights, unnecessary ones, probably 99% of the time. And going back to you saying, you know, just elope, like that's what all we needed to hear. You know, we didn't think of that. I don't regret making the decision that we made. I really don't because it led me here. And I have this beautiful family. Does that work for everybody? Absolutely not. But I do wish somebody would have just given us options because I sat for a long time just a broken sinner, right? Because nobody gave me anything else other than that. Collective doesn't have this culture, but I will say like we fought against it a lot when we first started. Here's a story I haven't told in a long time. We were like eight weeks old and um, we were portable meeting at West Frederick and some of that culture started to creep up of like rumors and gossip and like all this stuff and we separated the the and this was just team it wasn't a whole church thing but before our, our we had one service at the time at 10 30 but everybody who served was there at seven o'clock in the morning and we used to do what was we called family service which was essentially the band would practice their worship set but the whole team would be able to be there to do worship because we had one service so they they always sacrificed everything and then i would like cast some vision da, da, da. this sunday instead of doing like letting the band do worship for everybody we separated the guys and the girls and my wife sat down with the women and she was like, we don't do that here. 
we don't gossip, we don't spread rumors. She's like, that's cliche, and that's what the world expects the church to do. We're not doing that. And if you want to be people where that's your involvement in church, this isn't your church for you. And at the same time, I'm sitting down with these men who like been at Collective for two months going, we don't play that game. We don't do that here. We have conversations face to face. We go to leadership. If you have a question about what leadership is, that's me because we didn't want to be that type of church. But one thing reading between the lines, obviously, is that, you know, eventually you and Carrie, Carrie leaves as well. And you kind of have to sit in that place, whether it was happening or not, of going, what do people think about us? Yeah. What do people think about him? What do people mm-hmm. think about you? You know, because it's like, again, like, don't know how far rumors go, but like, we know how this works. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so not only do you not have your church home, Carrie loses a job, mm-hmm. which is terrifying mm-hmm. at any point. And then there's also the the people that I did things with now think I'm the worst of sinners. Right. Right. And you're just yeah. kind of sitting in that place. Yeah. How long did you kind of stay in that place end of 2018 is when carrie left too so i think it was a good four or five months that i didn't go to church at all unless there was like a special occasion going on at my friend's church her and her husband are a pastor at a church and it's also a brethren church so i wasn't feeling confident about it but they are my very good friends so i would go they would ask me to do special music sometimes, and I still wanted to because I still loved yeah. singing. You know, that's still something that I felt very passionate about. So I would do that, but very special occasion. Mm-hmm. And I picked and chose which ones yeah. I wanted to do. And so I picked up more hours at work, really, yeah. is what yeah. I chose to do. I was working Sundays, some Saturdays, but mostly Sundays, to make myself busy on Sundays purposely. Yeah. Um, until finally, it was, I think, June of 2019 when I came to the collective for the first time. Um, we had a couple friends who were attending, and they said, you really got to try this church. It's pretty new. They meet in a middle school, and, like, yeah. you know, it was just, yeah. they thought it was just really different, but really, really cool. And so I came, and I thought, this is neat. And so I thought, okay. Maybe I'll give this a shot some other time. I was not coming regularly. Yeah. Um, I was still in my mode of, well, I work on Sundays. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, um, I know towards the end of 2019, I was coming fairly regularly. Yeah. And then another person who attended here, who also unfortunately no longer does, reached out to me and said, hey, Collective needs a photographer. I know you take pictures. What are your thoughts? Oh, yeah. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Like, I didn't know there was a photographer at Collective at yeah. the time. And so I thought, well, tell me more. So I asked him, I said, what, what's more details on this? Cause I don't know of a church who has a photographer. Yeah. What does that entail? None of that makes sense to me really. And so he gave me the rundown and I thought that actually sounds really cool. I've never done anything like that before. I know that I can take pictures. Yeah. Um, I had my little side business at the time. Yeah, we, I mean, just we, probably, we probably stalked you yeah. on, on social media. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's probably how we do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he encouraged me to come try it out. And so I shadowed a few Sundays, and I was on board. I thought it was so cool. Everybody I had met on the team and off, I just had good vibes from, and I thought, this is a good place. I, I, can, I think I can keep trying this. And so there was one Sunday I said to Carrie, I said, you got to come with me. So he did. And I think his dad came with us too. His okay. dad was visiting at the time. And first thing Carrie looks at is the soundboard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. He's like, I got to go back there and see, see what's going on. And I, he sort of eyeballed it at first and 
Chris Wells then walked up to him and said, hey, what's going on? Yeah. You know, anybody in looks Chris at Wells like, fashion. Do you know how to use this? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, anybody who knows Chris knows uh-huh. that conversation. So yeah. Carrie went, yeah, I'll, I'll take a look. And so he went back and Chris showed him the showed him the deal. And he's like, that's really cool. That's really cool what they got going on back there. And so I knew, you know, my husband who had also, well, he was my fiance at the time. He felt like something was cool here. So yeah. I thought we both went through this hard thing and you have something positive to say. And he's the more analytical one out of the two of us. I'm the much more emotional one. So to hear him say something remotely positive, yeah. I thought this must be okay. Yeah. And so I think I fully dove in to being on the media team and I shot solo one time in West Frederick and yep. then COVID happened. Yep. Yeah. And I remember John Allen, our worship leader at the time, um, so, you know, we go online mm-hmm. and at that point. I think we carried it been a few times. Yeah, yeah, um, he had come a couple more times, I think. Yeah, and we that. had known at that point, like we knew a little bit of your story. Mm-hmm. We we kind of knew what was going on with the church you were at. Like, and again, just like hearing, you know, people when people show up at Collective, you know, I always try to ask like, how'd you hear about Collective? And sa- sometimes like social media, an ad at the movies, and sometimes yeah, it's right. like, hey, our friends come here because we used to go to church together, and this thing happened, and so we knew a little bit of your story. Um, as well as your friends and just mm-hmm. kind of like what they were looking for, you know, being young adults mm-hmm. in a church, like either, because were they married at the time? They were, okay. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but newly married. Yeah, they had just got married in October of that year, I yeah. think, right before COVID, COVID yeah. happened. Or, yeah, so I think they started coming. 2018 and they to 2019, were, I forget which one. They definitely, <laughs> yeah. I remember when they started showing up, it was like, they were, they, it was planned. Like they were getting married, mm-hmm. but they got married like in the middle of all that because like yeah. we did our capital campaign in 2019. I think their wedding was like right during that time. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, but I know like, you know, so we go online, it's a whole other awful year. Um, but, you know, one of the things was we were like, well, We've got this media team. Mm-hmm. Should they be here? And, you know, we're filming at the GOG downtown. And John was like, all right, I'm going to see if Olivia can come and take pictures. You know, and at that point, we had like eight people. And we were only supposed to have five. And we're like yeah. sneaking people in <laughs> yeah. and out, right? Because you would show up early I would. and take pictures. And then like our host would leave. And then I would come. Yep. And the band would come. And like we're playing this like game. Yep. Um, but like you personally, through most of those 12 months, like you were the – the historian of these 12 months of like sharing what was going on, which was a big deal for us because we knew that it wasn't just that like you were going through some church hurt, but it was now like, Hey, this isn't what you signed up for, Mm -hmm. especially church wise. Yeah. You know? So like while you were definitely a part of the community and, and all that, it still wasn't I mean, you got to hear live worship. You were like one of the few yeah. people who got to be around for that. Yeah. Um, instead of online, but it was still pretty messy. Uh, December, well, probably November, but December of that year, we filmed all of our Christmas Eve stuff, and uh, Carrie showed up. And I know, you know, we'd we'd seen him here and there. He'd helped with some stuff, and it was like, hey, we're doing this really big project, and like, we can you give us a few hours? Turned into like sixteen hours. Yeah, it was you know? a long time. I think COVID would have been a really easy season for you guys. Like, hey, we tried something else. Mm-hmm. It did not work. Mm-hmm. You know, or go, well, God must not have wanted this, right? Because that <laughs> right. felt like a pretty heavy closed door. Why, though, during COVID, because you both leaned in more. Yeah. You know, what was the, kind of get us to that. Like, what, what made you do that? I have just always had this need to be part of something um, bigger than me. 
the other part is that I just felt so welcome. Mm. And it, I was very intentional of when I first joined the team, I wanted to tell John and Maggie, mm-hmm. here's what happened to me. Yep. And here's what happened to us. And, you know, this is where we're coming from. If we don't fit here, yeah. please tell me now. Yeah. Because I didn't want to go through that, that again. And, and I will say, too, I don't think we handled it particularly great the first time we had the conversation. <laughs> John and Maggie both were, like, in leadership roles that they were new to. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. I always think that you and Carrie being here is you guys gave us a second chance in handling a conversation, probably not to the best of our ability, before you even knew who we were, which speaks to a lot of like who you guys are. I also know um, coming out of that, like John being John and just being so thoughtful and so kind and so yeah. loving. Yeah. I know that you guys had a conversation and did. he did what mm-hmm. he always did, which was there's so much care yeah. in who he is, so much accountability in who he is. Yeah. Like if John wasn't John, yeah. I could see it. But like, Yeah, no, and I think that's why yeah. I didn't feel just the hurt all over again yeah. because it was a very long conversation prior, and then the second conversation was also very long. He yeah. was thorough in explaining and showing the care that he yeah. had. And so it's what we needed, yeah. and me specifically. Carrie was sort of – and this is more his story to tell, but he was sort of checked out at the time. But he is so big on just wanting to help. Yeah. And I think that's part of why he continued to come along yeah. is that it's the thing he went to school for, audio engineering or whatever it yeah. was. Any chance he gets to do that, he wants to take. And he could see from the beginning that everything done here was very intentional. That was very impressive to him. And that was something he really wanted to get excited about. And so it was a chance he got to do something with his passion. He was done with people. He didn't really care one way or the other at that point. He was just kind (laughs) of done. So he was less like, he didn't even have any real emotions about what was going on at the beginning of our journey here at Collective. I was still on the emotional roller coaster, but at the same time, like I said, I felt so welcome here. And I felt like people actually cared about just wanting to know about us. I also had the perspective of, well, some people just do say the wrong thing sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I, I took it to heart a little bit, but not terribly so, yeah. where I let it affect everything. And so while I was still hurt from what happened at the other church, I had learned so much. And so it was good in a way that I had that perspective coming here, because if I would have put myself out there and sort of been rejected, it wasn't a, it wasn't a rejection, sure. but... It could have felt like one yep. if I let it. Yep. I wouldn't have come back here. But the follow-up helped immensely. Yeah. And I knew people here just cared. I could just feel it. So, yeah, we wanted to come back. And, again, I just wanted to be involved. And, yeah, COVID happened. But I still felt like I was doing something productive. Yep. And I think that was the big thing. And I was helping where help was needed. Then that's what Carrie felt like, too. Yep. That's, you know, where we were at. Yeah. And it was something we just wanted to try new. It was COVID. We were supposed to get married in April of that year. Oh, yeah. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. So it was another thing to just sort of distract us from the suck. Which is the <laughs> irony of the whole entire <laughs> yeah. thing anyways, which is like a whole other part of the conversation, yeah. which is like – yeah. You guys were then trying to do, you know, you're trying to do it right and trying to get yeah. married and trying mm-hmm. to get that COVID crapped all over it anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. we had to postpone our wedding, luckily only f- four months because in summertime we were able to do everything yeah. outside. Yeah. So it still worked out okay, but 
I mean, having to postpone your wedding, and we weren't willing to not have our family there. Yeah. After we had done all this planning, yeah. you know, if we would have started from the, okay, we're just going to elope, right? If somebody yeah. would have told us that, we would have. We would have just done that, but we had planned yeah. our whole wedding. We yeah. had sent out the invites, you know. It felt wrong to not include our family yep. and our friends. So it was something to give us something to do. And we had to stay home most of the time. I was working from home. Carrie was unemployed at the time, too, for a good chunk of that time over COVID. So there was just all these stressors. And I think a lot of continuing our road here was it gives us purpose. It gives us something that means something. And so we continued. Anytime somebody shows up at Collective, we we know they have a story. We don't know what the story is until we we know it. Mm -hmm. But there's something really big when people have experienced church hurt and they're like, hey, I'm going to give this a shot. And we know that Collective is not the church for everybody, um, but we always want to make sure that they leave going, hey, this isn't my flavor of church, but I still was treated really well. Or the people here are really nice or, you know, things that Carrie loves, which is like, you can tell they put thought into this. There's intentionality behind the the flow and the decisions and the start times and the end times and the songs we pick and, Mm -hmm. you know, the keys we sing them in even it's all very thought out of like, how do we make this experience one where people can worship and engage and feel challenged, but feel cared for, you know, the grace and truth side of things. Right. And, you know, I I do want everybody listening to know, like one of the, the most important things that Olivia and Carrie did is they didn't take what could have been devastating and what could have like set you guys on a trajectory of like, you know, belief in God, um, but like no engagement uh, in church or church community, not finding people, and you guys gave it another shot. Uh, it was a bumpy start here, um, <laughs> you know, because of our own uh, Im- immaturity is probably not the right word, but like our church immaturity, like, mm-hmm. you know, just like being young and like navigating things. Like there's people who've been at Collective for a long time who I, I always adore because you know, there was a situation where it's like, man, I could have handled that better. And they're like, yeah, we know. And that's why we're still here because you said we could have handled it better and now you're handling it better. And like, those are really special people in my heart. Cause like, we've never done everything right. We'll never do everything right. right. But now like you and Carrie are such an important part of all of this. I mean, you guys have been with us since middle school, like heavily involved in COVID. Um, definitely couldn't have gotten through that season. There's like 15 people who carried this church for 12 months, you and Carrie are two of them. Um, but not only that, but like getting into this building and then fixing things in this building <laughs> yeah. and then fixing things <laughs> in this building and then doing the expansion. Yeah. It's really important and and special that you guys didn't give up on, on the good things that you know the church can bring, mm-hmm. right? The church in and of itself, I think, is one of the most beautiful things that God gave us. Absolutely. When people get out of the way of it. Exactly. And... Um, you know, it's just a huge honor that you guys gave Collective a chance in in the pain. That you have good friends, you know, that um, Emily and Zach, like, invited you guys here, mm-hmm. even though they were in transition. And even though they were going to be in more transition, yeah. being good enough friends to say, hey, we're about to jump, you know, to head toward Hagerstown. But, like, here's this place we know that you guys can need, which just speaks to really right. who you and Carrie are, the people that you have around you. Exactly. Um, you know, it just says a lot. And yeah. I don't know if people who talk to you guys would know that there's just kind of this pain and some of it's lingering. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we all go through life with experiences like this and just pray that we get to one day have the conversation. 
Right. And it doesn't mean you always get to, which kind of right. sucks. Yeah. Um, you have to heal without it. Exactly. Which yeah. really sucks. Yeah. That's um, just where we are and yeah. is what it is. I would say you have experienced like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows when it comes to the church specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and obviously the impact of the of your faith along the way. But for you personally right now, like how would you describe your faith on this side of it? I think it's just grown stronger increasingly since leaving that church. It was really high before, yep. obviously, but it declined, obviously, a little. It was more my faith in Christians, yep. not yeah. God, not Jesus. Good, good. It was my faith in Christians yep. that declined, but I always had God, and good. I always had Jesus, and that never changed. I prayed all the time. I still read the Bible when I felt like it. Not proud to say the little amount that I did, but yeah. I still did. I knew that I knew that people were the problem. I yep. always knew that people yep. were the problem. But I was concerned at are all Christians like this? And me myself calling myself a Christian, am I like this? Sure. You know, so I started sure. questioning my own value in that way too. Now being at a church where I see people who are genuine, who tell the truth, are going to say it just like it is, you know, that's what I appreciate. And that's how I know that not all Christians are like that. And that I found faith again in Christian people from being here. And so while my faith in God never really changed and my faith in Jesus never really changed, people did. And it's better now than it's ever been because I see real people here. There's some like beautiful irony that collective is your story, like your faith in Christian people, because <laughs> man, are we all messed up, <laughs> I know. you know? And I, I mean, people listening to this podcast know, like when we, when we say Christian people, what we're saying, just telling stories that have been on this podcast, we're saying people who have been addicted to drugs and people who've been in jail and people who experience abuse and neglect, we've, people who have had affairs, people who have been divorced, people who have struggled with suicidal thoughts, like those are the people we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And now I would argue that's a better view of what Christianity is than the everything's perfect and nothing's wrong. Yep. But it's a huge compliment that this um, island of misfit toys <laughs> yeah. is like the place where you're like, oh, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. And um, But, you know, that's why this podcast exists. And, and Olivia, you and I talked about this, like, you know, when you sign up for the podcast, you're like, I don't know what my story can do, but I hope it can. And, and you know, really, a really cool part of this is like, it's just you having the integrity to say, hey, Christians aren't perfect, but we're trying our best. So let me share my story and just continuing to create that culture of like, hey, this is a church of, of mess. And, um, but we're going to try to trust Jesus. And when we fail, we're going to own it mm-hmm. and take responsibility and, you know, kind of bask in the the grace while we try to live in the truth and fail constantly, you know, exactly. that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I know there are people listening to this podcast that have church hurt and they're hesitant. They're here, but they're hesitant. Mm-hmm. And I hope this encourages them to be a little bit less hesitant. Be, be, be nervous, yeah. right? Have some walls up. That's okay. Like if you've been through trauma, mm-hmm. it's foolish of you to walk into the next situation completely splayed open, exactly. right? Um, but it's just like, hey, let me give this place a chance a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and eventually get to a place where, like you guys, you're here all the time and Carrie's yeah. here on Saturdays helping us set up the new sound in the new auditorium <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Um, trying everything you guys can to, to capture what's going on here and, and help people 
engage, which is wonderful. Um, so let's jump to uh, second to last question. Uh, wisdom is a gift from God, right? And we read in the book of Proverbs that um, when God created the world, wisdom was with God, um, which I think is really intentional of like when God created this and God thought about us, it wasn't just love, but also wisdom. Um, but wisdom is also something that we don't have to experience on our own when other people can hand it to us, which is like great because then we don't deal with pain. Yeah. Um, so we do this wisdom portion because it's like, hey, if you could stop people from feeling the way you felt or going through what you went through or from like the bottoming, bottoming out, mm-hmm. right? Because, you, you know, maybe some people are already experiencing pain, but they're like not quite as low as they could be and you can pull them back out. That's what wisdom gets to do. And um, God allows us to, to give some wisdom and, and steward kind of that wisdom in our stories. So if you had one piece of advice for the people listening, what would that be? Do the hard work. And this goes with my Bible verse, which I'll say obviously next. Yeah. But God never once said, life is easy. We get thrown trials even if we don't see why. My story has explained that. You know, I felt in the deepest, darkest place for what reason? You know, it wasn't necessarily situational. And so I was getting thrown that, though. And so my job was to see God through it. And God shows himself in the trials more than anything. That's where you see God the clearest. And you're called to then do the work to get yourself better and then do God's work as he wants you to follow the calls. And so no matter how, how hard it is, just do the work. And most times we know what that is. Mm-hmm. We're just always, afraid. Always. We're just afraid <laughs> yeah. to do it because yeah. it's hard. Yeah. It's extremely hard, but you come out with abundant life mm-hmm. and fullness because that's what God has for you. And so if you just follow what God says, you just do the hard work in the pits you're going to be so much better for it. Yeah, that's really good. All right, what's your verse? It's in Nehemiah chapter 6. He's called to build the wall of Jerusalem, and he's got all these naysayers trying to get him to stop, ridiculing him, not wanting him to finish the job, and he refuses. And it's in verse 9 when he says, Now, O God, strengthen my hands. Hmm. And he's getting exhausted, right? This is my interpretation, so I'm sorry if it's wrong. That's okay. (laughs) Um, It seems to me that he's just he's tired, but he needs to to finish because God called him to. He doesn't care what anybody else is saying. God called him to this. He's going to finish, but he needs strength. And for him, it's physical strength. But that goes with any time you need strength, emotional, mental, physical, whatever it is. And so I think about that all the time. And I had my grandma actually write it down before she died because she was the strongest woman I ever knew. And she actually passed away right after we left the other church. And so in one of my pits, wasn't my deepest one, but she passed away. But before that, I had her write it in her handwriting and I carried around in my wallet with me all the time because it just reminds me, ask for strength when, because God gives it to you. God provides it when you Mm -hmm. ask. Just be open to receive and it's there. Get rid of the distractions and look for it. And that's what that verse reminds me of all the time. That's really good. Olivia, I, I think um, that very much exemplifies you and Carrie and specifically how you approach faith. It's been bumpy, and to see you guys here, I, I know uh, I'll kind of like let people know a little bit more about you too. Like as our, one of our photographers, like every person that gets baptized, like you're taking their picture mm-hmm. and you're sharing in that moment with them. And like, yeah. you know, the hard work that you guys did to get to a place to help other people know Jesus and to help them hold on to those moments for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Like it only comes through the grind. 
Yeah. And um, I'm thankful for you both. Collective isn't collective without you guys. The story that we get to share with people doesn't get shared without you guys. Worship isn't worship without you guys. You know, Carrie running sound, but also plays every single instrument that yeah. ever existed. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I hate what you guys have gone through. My heart aches for that for you. I am very thankful, though, that in the rubble, you guys have decided to rebuild here because Collective is better because of it. And so thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you for having me.